spoke to me during this lunch to talk to you about this subject. What if God is better than you imagined? Live stream audience, what if God is better than you even imagined? What if? You know, there's always been some big what ifs. What ifs that were like changed. They, they, they reestablished the paradigm. They absolutely flipped everything in the world upside down just because some people considered the question, what if? What if what we've been thinking, what if what we've been believing, what if the way we've always believed it to be true isn't true and we should consider this? Let me give you an example. How about this one? The world is flat. Right? Here is a modern day depiction of that. And oh my goodness, I didn't know that there is a whole flat earth movement out there now. I mean, I don't know where I've been, but I thought that was just something to laugh at, you know. Uh, when I learned uh, years and years and years ago in school that uh, the earth is not flat and there's a planetary system and we're just one of many planets and all those planets are essentially round and so forth. But as I began to look this information up, I discovered that there's a whole movement now, current movement, that's talking about the flat earth and that they have reasons to believe it. And... Uh, uh, my problem with the flat earth thing is Isaiah 40:22 says it, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And the Hebrew word for that means sphere. So I just, you know. You might be here this morning and believe in a flat earth. It's all right. I don't want to run you off. But it's because a gentleman by the name of Christopher Columbus dared to believe and question that paradigm that uh, the world was turned upside down. Here's another gentleman that dared to question what if. His name is Philip Semmelweis. You've never heard of him, I'm pretty sure. But he was a Hungarian physician of ethnic German ancestry now known as an early pioneer of antiseptic procedures. He was described as the savior of mothers. He lived in the early 1800s, and he was over a hospital that in particular cared for pregnant women. And they had two floors, two primary floors in this hospital. On one floor, the mothers were being cared for by midwives and the midwives would help deliver the children. But on the other floor, the, the lower floor, they were being cared for by students and doctors who also ran a cadaver laboratory in the basement. Now, what they were just couldn't understand is why the mothers on the first floor were getting sick and dying five times more the rate of the mothers on the second floor. And of course, the religious community thought it was demons. So the religious community would come in and pray and 
bind the demons and cast the demons out of these young mothers that were getting deathly sick and dying. And this wonderful scientist and physician began to question, what is the difference here? There's no difference in the, the mothers themselves or in the quality of care of the hospital, but there's a difference in who is caring for the mothers on the first floor and who is touching them. And he began to look at the numbers and he began to deeply analyze and he found out that the same doctors and students, physician students, who were going down into the basement and handling the cadavers were then coming up and without washing their hands were assisting in the birth of these pregnant mothers. And disease was being passed. Now folks, I didn't know it, but it was not that many years ago, just in the 1800s, that physicians didn't believe it was necessary to wash your hands before performing surgeries. In fact, they'd go from one surgery to the next surgery with their hands in the same condition from the first surgery and operate on the second person. Did you know that? I did not know that. It is just as of recent in terms of history because of men like Simois who figured out that antiseptic care was absolutely essential to the life and welfare of those that were being treated for disease and having operations and so forth. Isn't that amazing? And it came because he dared to question what if. I'll give you another one. I'm surprised I didn't get any chuckles. Like, do you know who this is? Right? You all know who this is? All right, this is Bill Gates. Now, Bill Gates is one of the richest men in all of the world. Not America, the world. Multi, multi-billionaire. You all also know that he's associated with the company he founded called Microsoft. What you may not know is some of the absurd things that Bill Gates used to think and say before he questioned, what if? So, here's a couple. There's nobody getting rich from writing software that I know of. 1980. 640K of memory ought to be enough for anybody. 1981. I see little commercial potential for the internet for at least 10 years. He said that in 1994. <laughs> Are you all getting my drift? Think how otherwise intelligent, important, wealthy even people, when you don't question what if, can lead to even a worldview and a biblical view that God isn't as good as he is. But I'm here to ask a question this morning. What if God is better than you even imagined? Let me give you a few what-if scenarios or ideas. What if your sin does not separate you from God? I'm just, I, I want to I pose the question, okay? The reason we believe it is, 
is because we were taught that. And we were taught that based on this scripture, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, it's true that the prophet did speak those words. But that is not true about your relationship with God or his son, Jesus Christ. Look at this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. You were separated because of your mind, not because it was God's intent and posture towards you. It was not God's decision to be separate from you and me. It was our minds that thought that he was separated. Here's the same verse in the message translation. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy, in his presence. See, the side you were on was because of your thinking, not his. But now that Christ has given himself completely, God has brought you over to his side. What is his side? What is God's way of thinking? I love you. I'm a good, good father. We sang it this morning. Here's the mirror translation of that verse. Your indifferent mindset alienated you from God into a lifestyle of annoyances, hardships, and labors. Yet he has now fully reconciled and restored you to your original design. (laughs) We could just camp there this morning. And we should take just a minute. Your original design... What's that? Was God separate from Adam and Eve? Did he live at a distance from them? Did he create them, put them in the garden, and then say, hey, name the bugs? Do your best to name all the animals? I'll be back in a few years. See you later. (laughs) The Bible says he came every day in the cool of the day. And he met with them and he talked with them and he loved them and he braced them. Mm. Good, good father. What if God is actually better than you even imagined him to be? Okay. Humor me. I'm going to give you a second what if. Humor me for just a minute. What if there isn't a lake of fire where people are going to suffer unfathomable torment for eternity by being burned alive but never dying? I just, what if? Okay. What if there isn't a lake of fire where people are going to suffer unfathomable torment for eternity being burned alive but never dying? May I ask you a question? If you get to heaven, 
and you find out that somebody is there that you know deserved hell. <laughs> you know somebody that deserves hell, right? Are you going to be bummed? Are you going to shout out in protest? This isn't fair. Are you going to make up some placards and go march before the white throne? <laughs> they belong in hell. They belong. <laughs> you know, I don't know. What are you going to do when you get to heaven and you find out somebody that you know should be in the lake of fire and they're not? What if there isn't a lake of fire? Just asking, what if? You see, what's interesting about all of this is that Eastern Orthodox teaching has never believed in a lake of fire. This is Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Eastern Orthodox teaching says this, there is no created place of divine absence, nor is hell an ontological separation from God. I did not take time to look that word up. I know. And now I'm disappointed in myself. Does anybody know what ontological means? We have any teacher types in here? Oh, did you Google it? Where's the microphone? Where did No. Okay, what does ontological mean? Um, it says relating to the branch of whew, meta metaphysics dealing with the nature of being. Well, that's clear now. Thank you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> did anybody Is that the, you found the same thing? Well, I'm, I don't want it repeated twice. I, it just confused me. But see, there are whole segments, large, multiple, multiple thousands of millions of Christians who have never believed what you believe about the afterlife. So what if, it, I mean, is it okay to just question? Is it all right that you question? Do you have to go to a church where everybody believes just like you do? Do you have to go to a church where you believe everything the pastor preaches and he believes everything you believe? Good luck. I'm trying to find one of those. Say, but yeah, but this is hell. We got to have hell. Without hell, we don't have a gospel. Without hell, we don't have some place to send the people that, that don't make the same decision I do. I know. Ephesians chapter 110 from the 
passion translation. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax when God will make all things new in all of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Here's Phillips on that sentence there. All human history shall be consummated in Christ. Everything that exists in heaven or earth shall find its perfection and fulfillment in him. Here's Knox's translation. By the way, Phillips and Knox aren't like, you know, new Bible translators of some sort of newfangled doctrinal bent or something. These are people that lived back in the 18 and early 1900s who translated, like like back when many of our translations were translated. Knox says, all that is in heaven, all that is on earth, will be summed up in him. One expression of the Eastern Church is that hell and heaven are dimensions of God's intensifying presence as this presence is experienced either as torment or as paradise depending on the spiritual state of the person dwelling with God. For one who hates God, and by extension hates himself as God's image bearer, to be encompassed by divine presence could only result in unspeakable anguish. Isn't that an interesting take? This is what our Eastern Orthodox brothers have always believed. But aren't you glad I have more to say than to just talk about hell this morning? Or the absence of it? You're saying, please move on, Pastor. All right, I have another what if for you. What if the whole focus of the gospel isn't about you inviting an absent Jesus into your heart, but rather it's the good news that the Father and the Son received you into theirs? Now, I'm not saying that accepting Jesus isn't important. I'm not saying that you have no personal a responsibility to respond to the gospel. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that the new birth isn't real, that uh, many of the things that you've believed and, and loved and heard taught are, have no place anymore. We're not throwing everything out, baby with the bathwater. I'm asking you what if. What if our foundation of asking Christ into our heart first, and if we don't do it, then he's still angry and judgment and punishment still rests upon our life and the end result of that will be hell. I just gave you the logical evangelical path and course of salvation or not and hell. What if the emphasis should be taken off of what I do to receive him and placed on what he did to already welcome me into him and the Father. And he did it without asking my opinion. Is it true because you accept it? Or is it true because God did it in the person of Jesus Christ? When Jesus hung on that wonderful cross, died, was buried, and rose again. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't ask our opinion about him dying, going into the grave, and rising again? 
Ephesians chapter four, uh, 1, verse 4, from the Passion Translation. And he chose us to be his very own. Who chose you? Listen to me. Well, I'm going to keep reading. I'm sorry. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained, that phrase he ordained, from the Eastern Aramaic text can be translated, he marked us with his love. The Greek text states it this way, he predestined us or he set us apart. So, because of his great love, not because you were holy, not because you followed a plan, not because you took all the right religious steps, but because of his great love, he marked you with love, he predestined you and set you apart so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. And when did he do this? Before he laid the foundation of the universe. That means you didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> Your salvation, what we call salvation, is more about you discovering what God did than it is about you obeying a plan to get saved. What if? God is better than you even thought. This is the supreme context within which we are to describe and understand Jesus' coming. Baxter Kruger says this, and I quote, it is about relationship. It's about communion. It's about union with the very life of the Father, Son, and Spirit. End quote. I don't know about you, but in the majority of the years, early years especially, of my, quote, Christianity, after getting saved, it was about rules. It was about obedience. Because even though I accepted him, now I needed to obey him or you can lose it. Right? So in other words, it, it became transactional Christianity. I'm saved because what I did. I'm kept because of what I do. I'll get to heaven if I obey to the end. <laughs> oh, help us, Father. What if God loves you for who you are, not for who you should be? Just what if? Do any of these four things deserve contemplating and thinking about more deeply as much as the earth being flat? As much as demons causing disease back in the 1800s in that hospital where they were trying to cast out the demons? And really all it was, those demons left when they washed their hands. Amazing. Is it worth considering 
that when somebody as smart as Bill Gates says, you will never have a need for more than 640K of memory, and I now have 64 gigabytes of memory on my desktop computer. My laptop computer has 16 gigs of memory. I was going to take the time to figure out how many k-bytes that was so that I could impress you, and I forgot. <laughs> One of our earliest church fathers, St. Irenaeus, said, He became what we are so that we might become what he is. Now, boy, if that doesn't flip your theology upside down. You see, for the first thousand years of the church, they never believed this whole theory of penal substitution. We talked about it in our midweek engage class. They always believed in Christus Victor. The whole language of Psalm 82 is that in Christ we're made like God, conformed to his image. We have his divine nature, Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, consider the prodigal son. You know the story, right? Even people who are not Bible students who might be watching or listening right now have never read Luke's account of the prodigal son sort of know that story of how the son left his father's house asking for his inheritance, went in a rebellious type of rebellion against authority, rebellion against his father. He took his inheritance, and the Bible says he squandered it on riotous living. Then one day, whether it was literally a day or not, over some period of time, he finds himself feeding slop to pigs. Now think of this, a good Jewish boy <laughs> feeding slop to hogs on a pig farm. And he says, ah, should I had a V8? I could be living in my father's mansion. I could be enjoying everything my father has. And I left, wasted my inheritance. Now, the Bible does not say that he repented because re true repentance would suggest that one is taking what God believes about you and putting it in the center of your mind so it leads you to change and go a different direction. The Bible just said that he decided to go home. Now, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't if you found yourself feeding slop on a pig farm to pigs and you realize man if I go back and just become a servant I'll have it better than I have it here so he worked out this whole religious formula hear me the prodigal worked out this whole religious formula of how he was going to go back and approach his father set it up make a deal with his father that he'll just become one of the hired servants if his father will let him come back. Okay, so he had this whole, sounds like us. Sounds like us with our religion, our plans, 
our performance, our exchange Christianity, <laughs> where if I do this, God will do this, that reciprocal thing, this whole performance works thing, that's what he was caught up in. So the Bible says that he gets up and he leaves and he's making his way back towards his father's house. Okay, you got, got the picture of what's going on? Now, the scripture says that the father, type of God, is looking for him, has been looking for him, was waiting for him, expectantly believed that he would come back. And he sees him on the horizon a long way off, the Bible says. And what does the father do? He takes off running to meet his son out in the field. What if God is better than you even imagined? In the early days of my Christianity, in fact, for the first couple of decades of my Christianity, it was all about a religious plan to please God so that he'll accept me and I'll be saved. But now I realize I had very little to do with this. I'm still uncovering the layers of his goodness and his grace because I began to find out that the Father was looking for me. He was watching. And he ran to meet me. I didn't, never even got up to the house. He took off running, met me, grabbed me, and watch this. We'll pick it up there. So the young son set off for home from a long distance away. His father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Is that the father you know? Is that the daddy, the father, God that you know? <laughs> or have you been making deals with God, rolling out your plan, rolling out your religious perception of God and wanting to lay it before God and making deals with him? God is better than you imagined. What if... What if? What if we started questioning every thought of fear and said, you have no place in me? What if we started questioning every thought of worry and said, I am not going to entertain you, you leave me? What if the next time we started thinking negatively about someone, anyone, and judging something about them, we flipped that? And said, you know what? Even though I don't understand what you're doing and I don't like what you're doing in my flesh, I will know no man after the flesh. That's what Paul said. And I know you have unsurmountable value and worth to the Father and that he loves you the same as he loves me. 
What would happen? What if we began to treat every individual as having that kind of worth and value because they're loved by God? What if we stopped thinking about how little we can accomplish and started thinking all things are possible to him that believes? What if this week you got on the phone, called Barb Cameron and said, Barb, you know what? Anything you need me to do at the church, here's some of my skill set. I'm all in. I'm there. What if we, be, we, we started coming early to church and greeting guests and showing ourselves friendly to those walking down the hallway? What if God is moving Genesis into a position to bless hundreds and thousands from outside these walls through programs like Growing Home? What if? What if God did not give us this building to grow a great big church so that we could say, I go to a great big church, but because he wanted us to have a place where we could be incarnational into our community and transform lives by introducing them to a good, good father. What if you came to Catherine this next week and said, you know what, Catherine? I want to be part of growing home. And Pastor Jeff, I want to be part of that daycare. And so wherever you can use me, however I can prepare a meal or spend a night, and what if you said to God, God, no more holding back, no more compromise, no more excuses. I am all in. Take my life. Here I am. Let's go. What if? What could change in your world? Stacy Garcia has been doing this. Where are you, Stacy? Did you land here? Oh, she's with the kids. She sent me a testimony. She said, uh, she actually told me about this last week and I said, you gotta send that to me, I'll never, I'll never remember it. She said, after the church began to speak the declarations over the finances again, I have begun to see an increase in blessings come from the Lord. In February 2018, I was in an auto accident and finally received an insurance favorable settlement in January 2019. In December, we received a check in the mail for, over, for overpayment of medical insurance in 2018. I am currently training for a better job with a CDL license at work, and with this comes another opportunity to begin training for additional skills, jobs and better jobs. Raises and bonuses, you know, that's the wording in our, that's why we have you make these declarations over your career and your finances. She says, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 is true about my life. God is good. He's better than I even imagined. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap its consequences. <laughs> 